showtime. Welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show. I'm Bill Miller, along with Rosie DeSantis. We've got an incredible show for you tonight. Our guest is living proof that one second chance can make all the difference in the world if you let it. His voice is unmistakable, and his story is a powerful tale of faith and redemption. And we are thrilled to have him here as our guest tonight. Please welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show, the one and only Jeff Bates. You guys are incredibly way too nice. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, are they talking about me? <laughs> you Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, we're very excited to have you on the show, Jeff. I mean, when we found out that you were writing with Del Nora Reed, Bill was like, oh my gosh, Jeff Bates, we've got to get him on the show. And of course, Del Nora was like, well, I'll see if I can make that happen for y'all. <laughs> what a beautiful spirit what a beautiful person and what a beautiful lady very talented um a pleasure and an honor to get to work with her uh, we've been we've been threatening to do it for work together for over a year i think and finally the stars lined up and and the, and the temperature got right and so here we are it's an honor to honor to meet her and uh Thank you, Del Nora, if you see this, for introducing me to these two fine folks here. Rosie, Bill, y'all are incredible. It's great. Got to hang out with y'all a few a few minutes the other day and uh, over the phone, and it was a pleasure talking to you. Jeff, to, to say that it was a pleasure for us is would be probably the, the understatement of the year, and uh, it's a conversation I'll never forget. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about, Jeff, and I think that uh, – I think it's safe to say that there's millions of – Country music fans all across the world are familiar with your songs and your music. But what they may not be familiar with is the direction that your life journey took and how your career came to a virtual halt back in 2001. Can you share with us the events that led up to that and what it was that ultimately saved you? Well, you know, um, what led up? I think I think we all have this image of ourselves that we would like to be in our, during our life. This is who I want to be, and this is how I would ever want everybody else to see me. And then you have reality, and that's usually two two very different things. So I think dear uh, over over time, I wanted to be a, a, a songwriter and a singer, um, and I wanted to be famous. Probably the wrong reason too. Um, but I knew I wanted to make music, tried to make a record deal happen. Um, but my image of myself was really off kilter. I didn't like me very much my whole life. And so I operated from a position throughout my life of if I don't like me, you probably don't either. So I'm going to be somebody different to try to get you. And, and, and it was never honest. It was never open. And uh, it was the result, end result of that is I wound up always in battle with self and I always wanted somebody or something 
to make me feel better about me. And uh, so I moved to Nashville in 2000. I was in the middle of addiction. I was addicted to methamphetamine. And um, March 2001, March 14, 2001, I got arrested for grand theft. I was, I'd run out of money. Um, my drug dealers wouldn't give me any more, wouldn't front me any more. And I, I couldn't stay straight long enough to, to make it, which I'd learned to, to, to make the drug. And so I started stealing from my friends to support my drug habit. Incredible people. Um, the one guy that I stole the most stuff from was a really close friend for a lot of years. But all I could think about at the time was how to get more, more meth, you know. And so I uh, wound up getting arrested, woke up in jail probably seven days later, you know. Um, and I say that because a lot of times, I've, I've, or I've, at least I've read about prisons that they'll give you drugs to help you get off drugs, you know. That wasn't the case in Davidson County, Tennessee. Um, it's cold turkey. And so I crashed. And I, I was, and I say about a week that I was flat on my back in the bed. Uh, I had the worst nightmares I ever had in my life. I dreamed something was after me. Somebody was after me. It was dark. I was sick. I ran fever. I sawed myself. I wet myself. I threw up. Um, most miserable physically I can ever remember being and emotionally. But I woke up seven days after my jail stay and I looked around and I thought, oh my God, I'm in jail. And I put me here. And it was the first time in my life that I didn't blame somebody else for my problems. This was my fault. And God gave me a, a really good gift at that time. He gave me enough memory to remember, to remember the people that I hurt. And it was the most ashamed I'd ever been in my life. I'd hurt every single person that I knew and loved and cared for. And I couldn't deal with it. It broke my heart. And I rolled off my little cot that I'd slept on for those seven days and my knees hit the concrete floor. And I just cried my eyes out and I cried out to God. I said, please, please help me. I'm not asking you to get me out of jail. I'm asking you to change me. I don't know how to fix me, but you made me, you know how to, you know how to fix me. You know how to change me. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And I don't care how long I got to stay here. I don't want to be the person that came here anymore, ever again. And when I got up from the prayer, I knew what I had to do. I had to call people. I had to call people and tell them what I'd done. And, and they were going to be angry, you know, and I got to make things right. And it's going to be hard. It's hard sometimes to face people that we've wronged. And, and, and I didn't know how, but at the end of it all, we know who does, Jesus does. And so I asked him to make the phone calls with me, every single one. And I would call him and I would say, hey, you know, the guitar I stole from you, it's in the pawn shop down on Charlotte Avenue. And I don't want you to lose it. Please go get it. And I took it. And I'm sorry. 
and probably don't feel good on your end and you're mad and I don't blame you. If you want to come press more charges, I'm in jail already. You don't even have to look for me. Just come do your paperwork. I, I deserve that. Now I know it's a lot to ask, but I hope one day that you can find it in your heart to forgive me. And I don't know when I'm going to be getting out. I'm looking at six to 15 years, but when I do, I promise I'll find a way to pay you back. And I had to call 30 people like that from jail and um, they were they were angry, hurt. But you know, the beautiful thing about being that honest and open with somebody, the conversation can only go two ways. They can either say, I don't forgive you. Or they can say, I do. And out of 30 people, 30 people said, yeah, I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm mad. As but I forgive you. And I hope you get better and you can pay me back when you get out of jail. And that was the beginning of my healing and the beginning of theirs. Wow. That's really powerful, Jeff. I mean, it took a lot of courage for you to make those phone calls. And of course, a lot of faith that Jesus was there with you and that you weren't alone doing that. And I, uh, the other night you said uh, something like, if you can't forgive yourself, God's hands are tied. And I feel like yeah. that ties into that. Can you elaborate on that? Forgiveness, most powerful. Th Besides love, forgiveness to me is the most powerful thing in the universe and in the world between, between us. If I have wronged you and I've done something to you, then I've caused you anger and resentment. I've caused you to feel pain. I've hurt you. And if I get to the point to where I am sorry, and I'm truly looking at what I did, and, and, and I, I, I don't want to be that and feel that, it, and I can feel compassion and empathy for you and more of what I've put you through, that's a beautiful thing. It don't feel great, but what it is is there's this little obscure Bible verse, you know, it says, uh, and I don't even remember what it is. I'm not a preacher. I just share my experience you know but it says whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and so when i create this feeling of anger and resentment and hurt in you i've bound you to that and and i've bound me by virtue of what i've done that's wrong to you and so god's going to give us our free will and He's locked down until I'm ready to ask for forgiveness and confess. And you're ready to give forgiveness and let it go. We're both bound by that. And if we don't do anything about it, then I'm walking around eating up and weighed down by my guilt and shame. And you're walking around uh, drinking poison because anger and resentment and hating somebody and is just kind of like drinking poison, hoping it kills your enemy. It's you that's hurt. But the moment that I can say, hey, I did this and I'm sorry and I hurt you, that I hurt you and please forgive me and, and, and I want to make this right, whatever it takes. The moment I do that, I've loosed God's hands on me. He's able to, to start healing me and get me back on the right path. And the moment that you give that forgiveness, then God's hands are untied on you also. He's able to start healing you as well.
And, and Jeff, you know, one of the things that really resonated with me was in talking about that forgiveness. And I've always thought of it in terms of asking other people to forgive me if I had done something wrong. But it's that first part of if you don't forgive yourself, you're, you're tying God hands, God's hands. And that was just that really gave me cause to pause about so many things because it all starts there. You have no idea. And I, and you, I'm not saying you personally don't, but for me, about 45 days into my jail stay, I'm, I'm eat up with guilt and shame and, and conviction and condemning myself, you know, and it's going to sound weird. I know, but and it's okay. Some people can think I'm weird and, and I like it. Um, but the thing is, I'm pacing my jail cell at like 11, 10, 10 or 11 o'clock at night. I'm supposed to be asleep. But I'm talking to God, and I'm like, okay, I know you forgive me, God. I know you do. Um, I know that everybody I've talked to forgives me, too. How do I forgive my – how do I let go of this guilt and this shame? How do I rise above who I've been? How do I let go of the past? And it was almost like I saw a vision. It, was, it was, wasn't nothing weird, uh, none of the wild stuff. But it was like I was seeing a scene right out of the Bible. And I saw the scribes and Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' time. And they're trying to trick him into saying something wrong so they can kill him and get him out of their hair because he's driving them crazy. And they can't control him. He's messing with their control. And so they said, tell us, out of all God's commandments, which one is the greatest? And the Jesus I saw at that moment was nothing like any picture I'd ever saw even before, you know. He was on fire, and he was a smart alien. And, 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 and he says, hear this, O Israel, kind of gouged them on being the, the, the self-proclaimed religious leaders of Israel. Hear this, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And he almost turned to walk away. And he says, oh, and by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. There are no greater commandments than these. And it shut them down. They had no comeback for that. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so I'll finish setting it up by asking you both this question. Does God give us the right, and I'm speaking of condemnation here, to judge another human being? Does no. he ever? No, we, we may, some people may think they do, or they, they may act that way, but I don't think we have the right. No, he doesn't. Not whatsoever. And so me and you, Bill, and, 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 and me and you, Rosie, we're neighbors. Means I got to love you like I love me, right? Right. But it also means I got to love me like I love you. And so if God didn't give me the right to judge and condemn you, then God didn't give me a right to judge and condemn myself. That changed everything for me. My way of thinking, the way I, I saw myself. Oh my God, it's just as important that I forgive me as, as it is that you forgive me and that God forgives me. And Jeff, I really appreciate the way you just, you, you just put that, into context with, with what you just said. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I hope that everybody watching it appreciates it as well. And one, one of the big things that I know came as a result of the time you just described was a song and a video that 
in my opinion, is, is one Second of the most chain. powerful that I've ever seen, both lyrically and visually. And that's one second chance. There were so many poignant things in that song, in that video. It You mentioned this earlier, but there was forgiveness, resilience, mercy, all of those things. And, you know, it is hard for people returning home from any type of incarceration to pick up their lives. At the end of the video, you go to look for a job, you get rejected, and then you make a decision. And this is the fork in the road. Do I just say the heck with it and I'm angry and, and give in to the bitterness? Or do I swallow my pride and go back? And you swallowed your pride and you got the job. And how important was it to you to have that message conveyed in this song and video? Anyway, it, it, to me it was the, it, to me, it was the most important part about it. Um, you got to be resilient. You got to stay with it. I mean, not everybody's going to know what you're dealing with or what you're going through in your life. And then not everybody's going to know how sincere you are because you're, you're convicted. I was a convicted felon, you know? Um, so it's going to be an uphill battle and there's two ways to make it or not make it at all. And one is alone and one is with God. And if you can, if you can walk with God to the point that where you can look in the mirror and be honest with self, then it's a lot easier to go be honest with others and say, Hey, yeah, I did all that, but that's not who I want to be. And I want to be here to, I want to do you a good job because I want to do me a good job. And, and I think people respect that honesty. I have had, it was one of the coolest videos to, to get to make ever. The little kid that played my son in it was, golly, he looked a lot like me. But the most interesting part for me in making and, and, and gut-wrenching and emotional for me was going inside and rummaging through those drawers and finding the meth pipe. And at that point in time, I'd been clean and sober five years. And that was the first time I had laid my hands or my eyes on a true meth pipe since the day I got arrested on more into five years earlier. And it broke me down, you know, nobody sprayed tears to my eyes. I mean, I, I mean, I wept to the point to where the, the directors came and says, are you all right? Yeah. It's just hard. It's hard to look at that little piece of whatever, whatever it is for you. Maybe a beer can, it may be a whiskey bottle, it may be a drug, it may be, I don't know, it may be anger. Jeff, I'll tell you, I over the years, I mean, that video, if I remember, I think it was about 2006 when the video came out. And over the years, whenever someone, um, you know, if, if I thought they, they were in need of uh, some inspiration about a second chance or a comeback or whatever the case may be, I would share that video, really? whether, hey. whether you were a country music fan or not, I didn't care that that message I thought could get through to anyone. And what you just shared about it to me takes it to a whole nother level. And, and no matter how many times I see it, I get choked up. And at the end, when that, like you said, that little boy playing your son, he comes out running around that man, goosebumps every time. Every I meet so, I meet so many parents. I mean, you, you would be amazed. 
I can do a show whether it be in a nightclub and I, I'm going to end a show in a nightclub with Amazing Grace. I'm going to tell them my story and tell them that share that, hey, if you want to change your life, here's the answer. God's ready to help you. Uh, I don't care if we're playing in a bar. One of the coolest things I ever saw in my life was we played a bar in Georgia just a couple of years ago. And I ended the show with Amazing Grace like I always do. And I didn't wear my glasses. I didn't have those on. I didn't wear my contacts. But I can tell in the middle of the first verse of Amazing Grace, there's a ruckus going on in the back. And I'm thinking, they better not be starting a fight in the middle of Amazing Grace. But, the, but they weren't. They set their beard down and they joined hands and they wound up circling this wall around this entire club and everybody holding each other's hands up in the air and singing Amazing Grace at a nightclub. And it was one of the coolest experiences ever. Two ladies got saved and walked outside. It was great. I spoke at a local church the next day and a lot of them showed up. And the thing about that is, in that kind of setting, I can come off and always stick around and sign autographs and meet people. Everybody, I think that's the least I can do, you know, if you should take the show. But I might have a mama come through the autograph line and say, please pray, well, how can I help myself? This is his first, second, third strike. What can I do? And I pray with him. Pray for her son. Three people later, a dude walks up and says, hey, I got some of the best cocaine you've ever, ever seen in your life. You'll meet me out back after the show. I'll share it with you. And you get all that. And it's my God. How do you do it? <laughs> How does God do it? He's got to be shaking his head at us. Jeff, we are going to take a quick break because we have a wonderful segment called 60 Seconds with Coach Lombardi where we get some fitness tips and health and nutrition tips. So when we come back, more with Jeff Bates. Take it away, Coach. Hey, thanks, Rosie and Bill. Well, first I want to thank you all for sending your questions in. And one in particular kept coming up, and it's about workout shoes, so let's tackle it. First, you should choose a shoe that fits the activity you'll be participating in. So running shoes for running, cross trainers for weightlifting in classes, hiking shoes for hiking, you get the idea. So each shoe is specifically engineered for those activities. Each shoe should have proper and appropriate flexibility, good arch support, and a heel that's right for the sport or activity. For instance, you choose a low heel for walking to prevent low back pain, common sense. Okay, the next is the toe box. Now there should be a half inch of room between the end of your big toe and the tip of the shoe. Now to get the right fit, best thing to do is go to a boutique shoe store that will give you a lot of personalized attention and a knowledgeable staff instead of a big box clothing store that doesn't have any idea what they're talking about and does not specialize in performance shoes. So here's one of my favorite hacks though. Once you purchase your new shoes, use a permanent marker to write the date on the inside of the shoe tongue. After six months or 500 miles if you're tracking your distances, whichever comes first, it's time for a new pair of shoes. I'm Coach Lombardi and thanks for watching.
All right. Thanks, Coach. Another great tip. We're looking forward to seeing what you have for us next week. Jeff, I wanted to talk with you or have you talk with us about a story that you shared with us in our phone conversation the other day. And it really, it really struck us. And it was the, the story about how that last conversation that you had with your dad the last time you saw him and the epiphany that, that he shared with you. Could you share that story with us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're talking about love and how powerful it is. And, and, and I, think, I think that God, God has infinitely more time than we do. So he's going, he's going to always outlast us, you know. But my daddy was uh, my, my adopted father. My, that's my dad. He was a hard guy. He was a tough guy. He was raised in the, the Depression era. He was abused when he was a child. And so it was hard for him to say, I love you. And, and, and he didn't. And I think I was 28 years old the first time he told me he loved me. And I was like, did he just say he loved me? And he says, yeah. I said, you've never told me. I, I never believed you did. He said, well, of course I did. He says, I always loved you. I just thought you knew. And I, I said, well, what made you think I knew? He said, well, I, I worked and I took care of you and I sent you to school and I bought you clothes and I fed you. And, and, and this guy, never he never said it at all, you know. But watching how God changed him over the years, the last few years of his life, he would tell you, I love you 20 times a day. I'd go see him and he'd be like, that's all he would say. I love you. I love you. And, and hug you. Obviously. He never would do that. But the time came for him to die. He had cancer. He had cancer and we were, I, I stayed with him one night. He'd already gone, slipped into a coma. They said he was never going to wake up. His heart rate was a sustained 225 beats a minute. And they were astounded at how strong his heart was. And so I'm sitting there, it's one o'clock in the morning, I'm reading my Bible right by his bed. And all of a sudden I hear a voice. He says, hey. And I looked over and it was him. And I said, what are you doing? He says, what are you doing? I said, I'm sitting here with you. He said, got any water? And I said, yes, sir. And so I grabbed, I grabbed the little glass and, and straw in it, and let him have a sip off the ice, you know. And he laid his head back on the bed and he says, well, I finally figured out why God sends us here. And I said, why? He said, so we can learn to love ourselves and one another like he loves us. And when we get that, when we learn that, we're done. And he closed his eyes and he said, I love you. And he went back to sleep. That was the last conversation we had, last time I ever saw him. And to see what God can do, that was the biggest thing in the world for him. And that was, that was his whole life. Not for God to beat him up or abuse him. or or It was for God to teach him how to love and how to express it and how to show it, how to feel it. He softened him up, man, a lot over 65 years, 67 years is how old he was. That's so beautiful. And what a gift it was for you to be there to bear witness to that revelation that he had. Family is a big deal to me. I was born in Mobile, Alabama in 1963. <laughs> My mother gave me away when I was three months old. 
at the same time that's going on, there's a young sharecropper and his wife. They've been married for a couple of years, came from broken, abusive homes. And their heart's desire their entire life was to have as many kids as God will give them so they could be mom and daddy and give their kind, their kids the kind of loving and safe and secure home they never had. And so they got married young age. They, they praying for God to send them a baby, trying to have a baby. Nothing has happened. In the middle of December 1963, they're awakened by the sound of a baby crying outside their window. And they run, and it's four o'clock in the morning. They run and they threw open the door, and there on their front porch in a basket wrapped in a blanket is a three-month-old baby. And they brought me inside, and as they checked me out, they realized that the blanket that I was wrapped in was covered with cigarette burns. I had one baby diaper that was soiled, one baby bottle half full of spoiled milk, and I had double pneumonia. So the sharecropper, he goes out and he finds somebody to let him in a little country story about milk and diapers and medicine. They started nursing me back to the health. In the meantime, they started this massive search for uh, my biological parents. They ran these ads for a whole year and nobody ever showed up. So at the end of that year, they adopted me. And I became their child. I became a Bates. And then God's sense of humor shows up like three years later. And they come in as to having kids and they have eight of them. And they're all blonde-haired and blue-eyed, like me. And I never noticed that I was not blonde-haired and blue-eyed, and I was the happiest dirt poor kid living in Bunker Hill, Mississippi, uh, up until I was about seven or eight years old. And when I was seven or eight, I got into arguing with a kid on the school bus. He said, you know, you're, you're not really a Bates, and you don't belong to these people, and you don't belong here. And... Ain't that just the way the devil likes to make you feel? You ain't good enough and you don't belong. And so I ran off the school bus crying into my mama's arms that evening and told her what the kid had said. And she held me and just told me the truth about the adoption and about how they would gotten me, told me that I was an answer to their prayers. And she said, I, well, I think the sweetest thing that a mama could say to an adopted child. She said, I just want you to know that I, out of all these kids we have here, you're special because we got to pick you. And all these other knots, head, not heads, we just kind of got what God gave us. <laughs> but it was the first time in my life that I felt like I didn't belong or fit in. And, and I felt that way for a long time. And I think eventually that's what led to you know, me using people and using girls and, and using drugs and alcohol, anything to make me feel better about me. Isn't that something? What it's weird. Children have no idea how powerful words are and how deep the wounds go. Yeah, but love is so much more powerful. We understand that you've got a new single, Give It Back coming out soon and you're also yeah. working, as we talked about earlier with the one and only Delnora Reed and not another locker is her yeah oh yeah she's absolutely amazing but what we wanted to know was can you tell us a little bit about each of those projects your new song and what you're doing with Delnora my song is called give it back and it's it's a, when life gives you love give it back um small stuff big stuff uh, sometimes just when you're having a hard day and, and you pull up to a gas station you don't have money to get gas and 
there ain't nothing wrong and somebody say, hey, I'll get you a couple bucks to give you, get you home. That's a big deal. That's somebody showing you love. Or you run across a child who's lost her mom and daddy and you adopt her. That's a big deal. It was a big deal to me. When life gives you love, give it back. I think it fits today's time really well. Seems like we're a little, all a little more angry and edgier than we normally are. I yeah. think we can stand a little more love and understanding and maybe kindness. Which brings me to Delanora Reed. I've never met anybody more kinder or more positive or upbeat than her, no matter what's going on. And it's contagious. Yeah, she can leave the studio and I'm thinking, we're all gonna be all right. Oh, yeah. She has that. She has that thing, you know. She does. She doesn't. But talking to both of you, I feel like I'm. I'm at church. It's just such a beautiful experience because there, the love, and the reverence just oozes out of you both, and and you're so open and willing to share it. And so, you know, we want to thank you so much, Jeff, for all of that, for for coming on the show. It's Thank been such a pleasure. Pleasure being here. A lot of fun. And I get to talk about Del Nora too, so that's cool. <laughs> and I'm not hearing We need to quit talking about her as well. Every, every chance we get. So the, when we heard that, you know, I, I thought initially you guys were just going to be writing a few songs together. And it sounds like it's going to be, you know, a lot more than that. So that was just fantastic to hear. You know what's cool about Del Nora? I say this. I, above all, I mean, she's obviously got a great compassion a great capacity to love and great um, compassion and empathy for others. But she still, and I don't know how old she is, you know, she won't tell nobody. <laughs> <laughs> but she has this ability to be like ultra wise out of one breath. And the next breath goes, oh, no. Like, oh my, oh, oh my God. You know what I mean? And be sincere about it. I love that. I love that. Is I got she can still be surprised. I hope I can wake up a lot of days the rest of my life and still go, wow, how cool is that? Well, we look forward to hearing your songs coming out, the album with Del Nor. There's so many things to look forward to, and we're going to end the show today with a song that was the title cover of your album, Rainbow Man, your first album, because yeah. that is, interestingly enough, very timely right now, and it ties back into your story about being adopted. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm adopted, and so I don't know. We live in this day and this age here where this person feels left out because of their race, or this person feels like everything's against them because of their race and this race is better than that and this is that and it's just this huge um conflagration of, of, of emotions that really has everything more to do with how we feel about self to start with because i'm pretty sure that if we were to take all three of us and we all three look kind of different um uh put four or five hundred more in here with us all different colors of skin. we go and we find out if we go do the dna test they were all the same it's just it's a skin tone thing dude do that you know it really is and none of it makes none of it makes any difference at the end of the day if, if i really got love in my heart and that that's what has to come first 
Skin color didn't come first. Love and heart did. I'm the rainbow man. I'm a little white and black and red and tan. I got all those colors in me. And none of them matter because God made them all. We got red blood in our veins. Oh, uh, I think we should be looking at the heart and not worry about the skin. I agree. And that's beautiful. And Jeff, I have to tell you, I think that um, I have a feeling that for the folks who, who watch this show and we have more and more watch every week, they're going to be a better person for having seen this and listened to the things that you've said. I know that I am. And I just want to thank you for your openness, your honesty. And it was just such a pleasure both talking with you on the phone, having you on the show today. And I'll tell you, when things open back up and you're playing, if you're going to be anywhere around here or we can travel to where you are, I look forward to meeting you in person. Well, you need to come on out and give a brother a neck hug. <laughs> I, I'm scared to hug a man. <laughs> Listen, are, are, are you either, um, ma'am? Miss, <laughs> Miss Rosie. I prefer the latter. <laughs> I like Miss. Yeah. I'll take you up on that. I ain't scared. Here's the thing, yeah. man. I, I'll come anywhere. We. I love to do. You know, right now we, we still stay busy doing fire pit parties. Uh, go to somebody's house. We maintain social distancing outside. Build a little fire, and I sit around my guitar and tell stories and sing songs. We do that at a church. Fire pit party at a church. Get outside. You ain't got to huddle up inside. Everybody can wear their face mask. We know disguise who we are, and have have a good time. So, so I, I'll hug you if you got a mask on or not. Oh, that's right. great. Well, Jeff, you said something the other night that said the best way to receive a blessing is to be a blessing, and we yes. just want to tell you that you have been a great blessing to us. So thank you. Oh, oh. well, you have me too. Thanks. You know what? Sometimes, no matter who you are or what your experience has been, sometimes you you got to be reminded where you come from and who you are and, and who God wants you to be. So thank y'all. Thanks for making it so easy to come on here and look at both of you beautiful people and share a little bit about Jesus. That does I hope my soul a whole lot of good. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. It's an honor and a pleasure. And now, ladies and gentlemen, singing Rainbow Man, Jeff Bates. I was born in Alabama, but I never knew my mama. She gave me away at three months old. Folks in Mississippi took me in and kept me and treated me just like I was their own. A holiness preacher man's daughter and a hard-working sharecropper father. My real mama was Apache. My real daddy, y'all don't ask me. Mama says she don't remember him I'm sure somewhere in my history I've got some slave blood in me and Some folks think that I look Mexican I never really fit in any place 
Cause there's always a part of me to hate I'm the rainbow man That's who I am I'm a little white and black and red and tan I've got all these different colors in my If you stop and think about it There's one common thing that we've all got People from all countries Come here because they're hungry For what's cooking in America's melting pot We're all different but the same is the only color in our veins I'm the rainbow Children, I'm the rain.